Uh, in the brief time we have today, let's turn to Acts chapter 3, uh, and we'll, we'll jump into the text. But I want to give a little bit of context. It should be on the screen, Acts chapter 3. And you might remember that in the original writings, there are no chapter breaks, there's no kind of verse breaks, that it's just a flowing narrative. Uh, as the gospel writers, as the New Testament writers uh, wrote out these texts, these letters, it was just one long flowing piece. And so we pick up at the end of chapter two, some interesting comments, some uh, fascinating comments, and Roger Nam last week spoke on these, about how the early church lived, the fellowship of the believers. Uh, they devoted themselves to teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, they were filled with wonder at these amazing wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles, and they had everything in common, and they met together continually praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So we get this kind of big picture, abstract look at the early church. And then the very next thing, we, we get it in chapter three, but it flows right out of that, is going to be a more specific look at what the apostles are doing uh, um, tangibly, specifically on a day-to-day -day basis. We call this section or the beginning of this section, the Acts of the Apostles. And so in Acts 3, beginning in verse 1, it'll be on the screen, it says this, that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Um, as we look at this, there's kind of a, just a, a general thing here that I used to always grab, which was the money part and the pivot away from silver or gold or the money. In some ways, I think that's on the surface but there's so much beneath it. Uh, the part of, of silver and gold, we can read from commentator Jose Gonzalez. He says this, that there's silver and gold, the gifts of Caesars of the world, and they're the gifts of God, and both carry power and both lead to worship. Uh, what the disciples engage, here, uh, engage in here is, is really an act of spiritual generosity. So we think in terms of what people need, their felt need. This person was looking for money, so the gift that you'd expect is some kind of resource or money. But there's a spiritual blessing, a kind of spiritual generosity in giving what they can give by the power of the Holy Spirit that actually transforms this man's situation. I think that we carry that with us. And like Jesus, this is an act of kingdom good news. Jesus came healing people, doing for them what he could do. And ultimately, that was an act of redeeming and restoring what was broken. So this is kingdom good news coming in and breaking in. But there are three other layers to this 
that I want to look at. Um, the story of these disciples going in and healing this man is, is really a uh, a first look at the life of the church that we're going to get more on as we go through the book of Acts and then into the New Testament letters all the way through to the book of Revelation. We're really beginning now a, a deep dive on this, this mysterious thing called the church or the bride of Christ. Uh, and one of those things is simply the relationship that we see now between Peter and John, between Peter and John. Uh, Pastor Paul Choi reminded us at staff meeting this week about uh, Peter and John. And it was uh, kind of a funny exercise as we were talking about it. But in the Gospels, Peter and John aren't really seen as, as the two people that go together. Uh, we see James and John, the brothers, right? And we see Peter kind of as the, the brash leader, the one that, that goes out in front that makes a lot of mistakes. But we even see them a little bit at odds sometimes. Uh, Peter is looking for uh, leadership in his own right and pushing himself forward. John, as a, a younger disciple, probably an early teenager, uh, his mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, can you give my son a, a seat of honor or of glory? And, and you can imagine John possibly um, wondering like a teenager, Mom, why did, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Uh, but this different picture uh, at the end, when Peter is being restored, Jesus is telling him, this is what it's going to look like for you someday uh, at the end when you're going to be martyred. You're going to be taken out to a place you don't want to go. Uh, and as Jesus is telling him that, Peter looks over and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, and says, well, what about John? Uh, this comparison, this kind of contrast. And Jesus looks back at Peter and says, um, that's not for you to know. Uh, but this great irony of, of, of Peter and John and this kind of interesting disciple-type relationship, and we can see ourselves in that in some way. We can see, I think, if we look into it, the humanity of that. But when we flip to the book of Acts now, it's not Peter and John jockeying in, in this kind of a way. We see them working as a team with this kind of uh, gospel partnership. So we've got a slide that'll show some highlights and, uh, and it's just now Peter and John's name showing up together. Uh, we can see it even uh, further down in verse 4 uh, that Peter looks straight at him, as did John. So over and over, we're pairing now Peter and John. Uh, we later will get to the ministry in Samaria, and Peter and John once again will be together. But it's a picture after uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, how these gospel relationships come together and are forged as we're now witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the same thing is going to be true with us in the church, where there would be division normally without the Spirit. The Spirit seeks to reconcile and bring about gospel partnership uh, that transcends personalities. Uh, the second thing, Peter and John, the second thing is now seeing people. Uh, this idea in this passage of Peter and John seeing or looking at this man who was, was lame. There's an emphasis on the dignity or looking right at that individual. We can go back to some of these verses, but in verse 3 it says, when he... When he saw Peter, that's the man who was lame, and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 9, when all the people saw him, 
that is the man that was lame, walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Uh, we, we do this today even, 2,000 years later. We find people that are um, along the path or where we are going and they are in need or they're asking for help. And there's a, a tendency to try to not make eye contact because to make eye contact engages them on the question of their need and, and whether we're going to help them with the resource or the money that we have. And, and so we get into these habit patterns of just looking away altogether um, because we don't want to engage the question of resource, silver and gold. But in doing so, we don't give what we do have to give. Uh, we don't see people in the eye. We don't dignify them. We don't honor them as people that, that God loves and who Jesus died for. That we don't somehow offer that spiritual generosity uh, that should be, uh, should be there and be a part of our life. I was really convicted this week, actually, on this passage. Uh, I've, I've taught a lot about this over the years, um, the idea of human worth and dignity. Um, we've done different things. There was a time when Tam and I would, would uh, with the kids, make care bags, little brown paper bags, and we would put food and, and some um, gift cards in there, and we would keep them in our car. And when we'd go by street corners, we'd be able to, to look at people and give them one of these care bags or have the kids be able to give them one of these care bags. And I don't know why we ever stopped um, doing that, but I think there's this this kind of natural progression where we begin to look away and begin to make that habitual. And there's something here that challenges us as witnesses of Jesus Christ, as those that have the power of the Holy Spirit, that we get to look out and dream about what we can do and how we can bless people. Uh, I asked John Jordan this morning, uh, what, uh, what gets you excited these days? Like, is there something that's just putting joy in your heart? And John said, uh, I'm excited because I'm going to prison. Um, and what he meant by that uh, is that there's a, a partnership being worked out with prison ministries uh, and a lot of villagers they're going to be getting involved with and, uh, and helping in, in the prison system. Um, but I kind of looked at John and just thought John is, is on the lookout for where he can go see people. Uh, that normally might be missed. And I had this kind of feeling inside, which was uh, we've, we've grown up with the phrase, if mom's happy, then everybody's happy. You, do you have that phrase in your home? If mom's happy, everybody's happy. Uh, if John Jordan's happy, I'm happy. Um, if Stan Nash is happy, I'm happy. Uh, but just watching and seeing how this works itself out. How do we see people? That's the second part of the text. But the, the biggest one, the main one that I want to look at uh, this morning or camp on is this idea of the shift in the temple. So the relationship of Peter and John, this idea of seeing people, but ultimately this shift in the place of the temple in the, the life of the people of God. The temple is where the Spirit of God was to dwell and where God's people were commanded or invited to come and encounter God. The temple was awe-inspiring. It was massive. It was um, one of the, the wonders of the world in that day. Uh, it was where you went for commerce. It's where you went to beg if you were lame. It's where you went to pray. It's where you went to offer sacrifices. It's where you went to receive forgiveness. It's where you went to worship. It's where you went to get close to God, the Holy Spirit dwelling in the Holy of Holies. So the temple was 
at the center of the, the religious life and the family life of God's people. And so what we see here is really interesting that when Peter and, and John are coming to the temple and they engage this person who is lame and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they allow him to walk. And in walking, he's leaping and rejoicing. And then all the people that are supposed to be in awe of the building, supposed to be in awe of, of kind of the worshipful environment, supposed to be hoping for reconciliation, supposed to be trying to receive and engage in forgiveness, um, expecting to come near to the power of God, they all shift their gaze uh, away from the temple into what's going on with the apostles, the disciples, and this individual. Um, this is not a, a, a small thing for Luke. Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke, throughout that gospel, he uses the temple as this pivot point to say who Jesus is. That Jesus now is where heaven meets earth that Jesus is where we're going to come to get close to God, that it's no longer the temple that's going to be at the center, but it's Jesus that's ultimately going to be at the center. And now Luke is carrying that forward when he's talking about the emerging church, uh, the church that is being birthed here in Jerusalem. So if we take it back just a little bit, Acts 1, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 2, we see how the Holy Spirit is poured out on the followers of Jesus. So they once were without the Holy Spirit. And then as they're waiting, the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, on them and empowering them in a totally different kind of way. And then now we see that movement uh, of them called to witness with the power of the Spirit beginning to work its way out. And the rest of the, the book of Acts is just going to roll that all the way forward. So when we say Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, what's really happening is it starts at the temple. The temple is the center. It's the center of Jerusalem. And so from here, the witness and the power of the church is going to begin to roll out and then ultimately continue to Judea, Samaria, and then through the ministry of Paul to the ends of the earth. Um, this is a radical, radical thing. Uh, it flips everything upside down. It's revolutionary in its contrast. Imagine if your whole life had been patterned around the temple that for generations, as far back as you could remember, your family, uh, other families, your village were going to the temple that, uh, that you were celebrating, that you were engaging in the communal life together there, that the symbolism uh, that, that the sounds of the temple and the singing were all a part of how you encountered God. And that now somehow that's flipping and it's not going to be the temple anymore. It's going to be the, the, this abstract, diffuse idea of the people of God, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the people that believe and have received the Holy Spirit. It's such a stark contrast. Um, it's in the context of the first century and to, uh, to God's people, it's, it's nothing short of disorienting and revolutionary and flips everything upside down. So what does that actually mean for us? I'll say it again, that Luke is illustrating this key point, that before this, God's people were called to the temple to encounter the Spirit of God, but now God's people are sent from the temple with the Spirit of God and manifest the power of God. The church isn't a building or a place. 
It's not the temple anymore. It's not the structure. It's not the location. The church now is the people of God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. We can put it on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go all the way through verse 16. The slide will stop at verse 15, but I really want to hammer home verse 16 for you as well. But this is what Paul writes. And he says, Christ gave himself. um, So Christ himself gave the apostles, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And he gave them, provided them to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, meaning that we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me read that last verse again. From him, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are all a part of the body of Christ. Every one of us has a role, a gift, something to contribute in the building up of that body. Amen? Um, Ephesians will go on and say that you were you are created for a purpose. Before you were even born, God knew the good works that you were going to do and that we all come together as witnesses of Jesus. Nobody a spectator. Everyone telling their story. Everyone being empowered by, animated by the Spirit of God to bring something generative to this building together. It goes a little bit far, uh, farther in 1 Peter in, in relating this to the idea of the temple. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, uh, say it this way. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as you come to him, the living stone, so this is the the cornerstone of a building, but it's alive, and it's rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also are being built now into a spiritual house, into this idea of the temple, the body of Christ, what we call the church, and it's precious to God, we are a royal and a holy priesthood that we now mediate between God and, and the world or God's creation. It's what priests do. Priests are mediators. Uh, and they would take and stand between God and mediate from God to the people and from people that were offering sacrifices or bringing offerings and, and mediate that back to God. And, and no matter what we do with our day job or what our talents are, or what our gifts are, we as witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit stand between God and the world mediating something. We are the temple. We are the body. We are the church. 
And it's a glorious, beautiful thing, mysterious in so many ways that we get to explore as we live life together. This is what Luke is is beginning to show us with Peter and John and the healing of this individual, that we are being built into that spiritual house, into a church. Uh, There's a phrase we're going to use this year uh, that that kind of encapsulates this. It's a theme that, that reflects a lot of what we've been learning, a lot of what we've been celebrating in villagers, uh, those of you that, that are involved in so many different ways, uh, in prayer ministries and helping with kids and um, in finance, whatever it might be, that we've been celebrating this idea and it's what we really want to look at in the New Testament going forward, but that idea of being the church. So the simple phrase is this, that we would be the church. I think we've got a slide uh, with this printed on it. But somehow as we come back to this, as we reflect on this, as we look at uh, different parts of the New Testament, just remembering again this idea of being the church. The church uh, as we engage in hospitality, being the church as we engage in prayer, being the church as we have a focus for Lent and walk through it together, being the church as we engage in service and missions, outreach and evangelism, being the church as we care for one another. The church isn't the building. It's not the structure and it's not the programs. The church is us together walking as witnesses and seeing the opportunities in the world where the glory of God can be made manifest through the power of the Holy Spirit to the amazement of the people. Uh, Another way of saying this is, Uh, that we really are to be a light among the nations to the glory of God. A light among the nations to the glory of God. Um, So here's a little manifesto. Um, Actually, I think the youth band is coming out. No. Uh, Korean, uh, the Korean fellowship is coming out. Uh, The the youth band is coming out. So... (laughs) So the youth band is coming out. Uh, I'm going to let the youth band um, read this manifesto. This manifesto that's going to be on the screen was a collaboration of staff just talking about what does it mean for us as we're on this journey, as we are the church. And so let these words just inspire and encourage, um, and we'll, uh, we'll carry that forward uh, into the business meeting portion, that that would continue to be worship as we come together as the church. I am on an inward journey of being transformed by Jesus. I was made for a purpose. I am called to serve. I can walk by faith. I am called to be in fellowship with the Spirit. My outward expression is of the Father's love to others. My greatest joy comes in doing what God has called me to do. My fullest peace comes in being who God wants me to be. My spiritual gifts are needed to be part of the body. Unity can only happen with you. We can't be complete without one another. We were created for this. Together, we are empowered by the Spirit to live on adventure making disciples. Together, we can glorify God. Together, we can magnify Jesus. Together, we can reconcile. Together, we can be the church. Together, we are village.